Welcome back to the Carter Exchange by Medtronic. So, so we discussed a lot about the repair. What, what about replacement? Um, so, uh, Pooja, what do you think is the role of mitral valve replacement? Has it changed over the last two, three, four years with new studies that came out? Well, absolutely. I think for, um, well, I think is for degenerative, it's probably by the wayside now, at least at, at a big mitral valve repair center. So if, you know, there's an opportunity to repair, then, then we repair. Um, I guess there's, I'll, I'll ask the seniors in this group about uh, the role for replacement in a, you know, uh, a low EF patient with uh, functional MR. I think that's always kind of where we get into um, you know, do we send them towards a co-apt, uh, you know, uh, edge-to-edge transcatheter repair? Do we do, you know, a ring of some sort or do we actually replace them? So I think that's kind of patient-dependent and sort of risk factor-dependent, at least in our at our institution. I, I mean, I think with co-apt, I think pretty... Pretty assuredly, I think if you've got an EF between 20 and 50% uh, and you're on guideline-directed medical therapy, the outcomes from placing an edge-to-edge device in anatomy that looks suitable for it is is the right way to go. I I don't think it saves you from a replacement down the road, but it may stave it off. I think particularly in an elderly patient population in the setting of ischemic heart disease where you probably have a limited lifespan to begin with, this is a really low impact intervention that has a high, you know, has on that on the backside of this, reducing rehospitalization rates, saving lives. I mean, that's that's huge. So I think I, I, I think the role, the traditional role of what we did a lot of replacements for is gone. Now, I think it, to Gene's point earlier, and I think in the in the um, functional world, not all functional disease is the same because we've stratified everything and we did it really well in the degenerative world. Um, and now we're doing it much better in the functional world. There's functional disease that will never do well with an edge edge repair. It's just too restricted posterior leaflet. You're not going to get great edge edge quality or you don't have the valve area to really do it. So then you have transcatheter mitral valve replacement as a potential option. And obviously we're waiting for the, the fruit to bear here on, on these kind of, um, on these trials, but I think that's going to be a big role in the future. And it's how do we manage mitral valve disease in the functional patient over the course of time, as opposed to kind of these definitive therapies. So because we're using tissue products, we know it's not going to last and we have a variable durability from the patient's lifespan standpoint. So if they end up living longer than what we expect these tissues to last, hey, do we have other ways to manage the reoccurrence of disease if a patient's continue to, to last? And, and I think that's going to be a very fascinating next 10, 15 years of what we're doing. Um, kind of these, in, in even in the, the patients who already have replacements for functional right. disease, how do we manage these patients down the road? Um, I will say from a replacement standpoint, out of the functional world, in in Texas, we actually still get a fair number of rheumatic patients and we get a fair amount of mitral calcification, which is kind of a mixed group that can be degeneratives with, so, with such profound MAC that you can't really offer a traditional uh, repair approach 
or you can have MAC as a part of a, a kind of inflammatory valve condition uh, where they have kind of almost like a, a 3A pathology. It, it, we're, we're seeing all sorts of MAC and these are elderly patients and replacements in those patients is a, is a very viable tool, but sometimes that patient's 60. Yeah. And that, and, you know, and they want a tissue valve. So yeah. how do we, how do we deal with that? Uh, I think those are going to be the bigger problems down the road and do tissue valves. Can we get such that we get the right kind of tissue valve structure so that down the road, we're doing valve and valves and valve and valves and managing a problem over time, as opposed to really having to go all in for the first approach. I, and that's, I don't know, but I think it's going to be an exciting future. Absolutely. So, so Gene, and, um, you also have the patient that is 65 year old. Um, that has coronary sclerosis, needs coronary bypass as well, um, and has functional MR. Is, is that a valve that you would nowadays repair or replace? Okay, so let's get to the CTSnet data, because I think that the results of the trial are great, because you can take the data and argue it any way you want. Okay, and definitely if you have a big bad heart, no ifs, ands, or buts, the valve gets replaced. Okay, but remember those volumes were what, 66 cc's per uh, left ventricular and systolic dimension index? Those were big hearts. Now, if you have a small heart uh, and you have, you know, a, a little chordal elongation in one area, might even be uh, tempted to repair. I think the other functional one is sometimes we see functional people, and we have to say it out there because we see more and more of this for whatever reason, Functional people, preserved LV function, have some ischemic disease, but their real problem is chronic AF. They just have a dilated patulous uh, mitral annulus. So I think those are ones too. Big bad heart, no ifs, ands, or buts. Replace it uh, with the multivessel revascularization. And remember, these people, if you look at all the studies, unfortunately, it's like having stage two lung cancer. When you present with FMR and multivessel coronary disease, you have a 50% five-year survival. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they don't live that long. So so maybe then to the last point of this discussion is then Pooja, I know you were involved with the are involved with the transcatheter mitral program, valve replacement program, the intrepid valve. Would would those patients be candidates for this program? So the ones that the, the, we know the survival, as Gene just mentioned, you know, is very dismal, 50% is five years. And now to you know offer them a less invasive approach. What do you think of transcatheter mitral replacement? Well, I think, uh, like I said, uh, one good thing is that now we've uh, been approved to get the transfemoral axis. So I think that that plays a big role because when you have these tired out ventricles and these EFs, I think there was a cutoff. I can't recall the cutoff right now for the uh, the intrepid valve, but um, it's pretty strict criteria. There's a strict anatomical screening, which you need, you need a large enough ventricle, but you, need, you can't have a tired out ventricle. Um, we worry about LVOT obstruction. So in those, you know, ischemic patients, I don't think that should be a concern. Um, but I think it, it will, it obviously does still, it plays a role. But again, these ischemic patients aren't the, you know, we're not seeing those 80 year old ischemic patients that we're going to send for a transapical. And in our institution, we haven't yet done the transfemoral intrepid valve yet. Um, so we were just part of the transapical. So really, we've been sticking to the degenerative cases for severe MR who are uh, don't have suitable anatomy for edge to edge. Um, 
and who can really tolerate uh, a transapical approach. And surprisingly, they actually do fairly well. It's uh, it's still a pretty large sheet we have to talk about. It's anywhere from like a 42 or 48 French uh, uh, a sheet that's going into the ventricle. So, it, it, you know, it is still quite scary putting it in. And um, so I think the it, it is a suitable technology, but again, they also need anticoagulation for about three months. There's the higher risk patients um, and you can't address their obviously rhythm rhythm issues. So um, at our institution, obviously if they're, you know, we're, we're a big maze center, that's where it came from. So we uh, were very aggressive about doing the maze for anybody, uh, even with the setting of coronary disease and doing a maze and obviously adding to the risk factors of Dana Mitchell. But I think um, uh, like Rob was saying, I think it's really hard to select a, the right group of people here. It's the redo patients, I think, that would do really well with this uh, technology. I think it's uh, the higher risk. Obviously, MAC is excluded. Um, we do have, there's a MAC arm for that trial, but again, not great uh, outcomes, I believe, <laughs> you know, for in, in really doing with anything in replacement. But um, but it's a, definitely a strategy. I think we have to think about um, re-replacing their valves down the road. And we're, you know, in the world of TAVR, when we started, we were really only talking about the first TAVR. Now every, everyone's talking about TAVR and TAVR and making sure we don't obstruct coronaries. And here, how do we get a second valve in this uh, in this case? So it's, it's quite challenging still. Yeah. So no, thanks, absolutely. There will be more and more developments. Uh, currently, there are lots of inclusion exclusion criteria and, and uh, the sheath size is pretty big at the moment. But hopefully, you know, in the future, this will uh, become better and better, and technology will improve. Well, yeah. So, Peter, don't don't you think though that I mean we this needs to be transcatheter mitral valve replacement. It it, it has to be done transeptally. Yeah. I mean, a big part of the the big proportion of the patients we're going to be treating with this are patients who have functional disease, probably in the setting of ischemia or non-ischemic cardiomyopathy, but it's going to be a, a significant cardiomyopathic process. And so we have to be looking at being able to preserve advanced heart failure therapies, which oftentimes require, you know, apical, you know, conduits, inflow cannulas. So we have to preserve that. And I think being able to do this transeptally also in a very sick patient population, it just helps. It makes a yeah, difference. Absolutely. No, and also because, you know, a lot of those patients are often candidates also for an SUH repair. Which, which will be done transeptal. So in, with the transcatheter mitral valve replacement, of course, you could have the advantage that you reduce MR to almost zero. Um, mm -hmm. But if you want to compete with SUH, it has to be transeptal. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So lots of things to come in the future. And um, for now, I want to thank uh, Dr. Puja Katru from uh, St. Louis, Rob Smith from Dallas, and Jean Grossi from New York for uh, you know this great discussion on mitral valve repair, replacement, and the future of, uh, of the specialty. Thanks all very much, uh, and looking forward to see you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Cardiac Exchange by Medtronic. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to your preferred platform. You can also get more info about today's podcast and upcoming shows at medtronic.com slash cardiac exchange. Thanks for listening.